Hey, thanks, Michael. <laughs> hey, it's great to be with you guys this morning. Are we, are we all ready for Christmas? Yes? No? Some of heads, some are different places. Heads, everybody's in different spots. Some of you are like, I'm shopping right now online, right? I'm on my phone buying things on Amazon. If I get it now, it'll come in Christmas Eve. Well, it's coming. It's coming. This weekend is the fourth weekend of Advent, Advent being the time leading up to Christmas, where we are waiting, where we're waiting for the arrival of Jesus to be born. And all throughout the Christmas season, we've been kind of doing an, an interesting twist through Advent here, where we've been looking at different Christmas carols. We've been, each weekend, we've looked at different Christmas carols and kind of gleaned from them biblical truths and things that we, where they are based in scripture and you know, pulling some things out from that, because these songs are songs that many of us have grown up knowing, songs that we've listened to since we were little kids, and so they bring back these, you know, this sentimental feeling, this nostalgic feeling this time of the year, but there's so much more than that. They really are worship. They're worship songs, and so we've been having fun looking at these throughout the last couple weeks, and uh, so far we've looked at O Holy Night and The Little Drummer Boy. And last weekend, we looked at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I, I won't spoil the surprise for what carol we're going to look at Christmas Eve, but today we're going to look at a song and listen to a song known as O Little Town of Bethlehem. Uh, so we're going to, um, let me just pray for us real quick, and then we'll kind of cue that up. We're going to actually listen to the song and, and maybe follow along with the lyrics, hopefully, and, uh, and we'll go from there. But let me just pray. God, I just pray that you would continue to be present with us. I pray each person here would just encounter you today. I pray, Lord, that as we listen to the song and we, we talk about it this morning, uh, that it would, it would be more than just nostalgic feeling, that you would be present in it, that, that we would connect with you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to play this song, and uh, I would encourage you to just kind of listen and pay attention and follow along and be paying attention for themes or main, main points that you might notice in it. So if you want to go ahead and cue that up. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see the light. Above the deep and dreamlessly, the silent stars go by. Yet
peaceful version of that song, right? By, I think it's by Sarah McLaughlin, and so much so I think it could lull you to sleep, right? It's just it's so easy going, but um, the story behind that song is just as beautiful as the song itself. Uh, that song was written by a man named Phillips Brooks, and the music was composed by a friend of his, an organist named Louis Redner. And, and what's interesting is Phillips Brooks wasn't a musician, actually, he was a pastor, he was, a, he was a priest, uh, but he wrote that song and, uh, and, and a, after a really amazing encounter with God. He was, Phillips Brooks was born in 1836, super intelligent young man. He graduated from Harvard at age 20. Uh, that's pretty impressive uh, in and of itself. And then, but he, he decided he was going to go back to the school that he grew up going to to be a teacher but he found out quickly that that was not his cup of tea, that he was not very good at that. He got fired very quickly. He couldn't control the students. So he decided to become a pastor. He decided to become a pastor, a priest, actually. And uh, he, in, in uh, 1860, he was ordained at age 24 as an Episcopal priest at the pastor church of the Holy Trinity in Philadelphia and was looking forward to and excited about a career as a pastor and serving people in that way. But the next year, when he was just, the ne- and it's just turning 25, uh, the Civil War broke out. Civil War broke out. And so he, along with everybody else, was just consumed by the Civil War. He was a, an avid abolitionist, a supporter of Lincoln, so much so that after the war was over, uh, when Lincoln's body came through Philadelphia, he was asked at age 29, young guy, to do the eulogy uh, as they came through town. Um, but Brooks Brooks was, um, after just those few years of pastoring people, he was burnt out. He was done. He had spent those couple of years doing so many funerals, 
Funeral after funeral after funeral, spending all of his time consoling widows, kids who'd lost their husbands, dads, brothers, sons. And he was on the brink of calling it quits. So he decided to go on sabbatical. He took a break and he went to Palestine. And on the afternoon of Christmas Eve, he found himself with some friends traveling to a little town called Bethlehem. And he rode, they rode there on horseback and they ended up in the, in the town's church in the square in the evening celebrating Christmas and worshiping. And as the darkness fell, they, him and his friends went out to the shepherd's fields that night at dark. And he had this encounter with God that changed his life. It changed his life. He later wrote in his journal about the profound spiritual experience of being in the exact place on Christmas that Jesus was born. And he talked and he was quoted as saying, since that day forever, there will be a singing in my soul. And he went back a different man. He went back to, to being a priest. He was a, a totally different spirit. His church members could tell the difference that he wasn't the same. Um, and he never was ever since then. Three years after uh, that, as Christmas was approaching, Phillips Brooks, he was inspired to write about his experience that night in Bethlehem in a poem. You may have noticed that in the song that we listen to, it doesn't follow a typical, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus pattern. It's, it's pretty much all just verses because it really is a poem that was put to music. And so he wrote this poem and he asked his friend and organist of the church to compose some music for it, to be ready to be played at Christmas time. But, but supposedly his friend Redner, Lewis Redner, had trouble with it. He couldn't come up with anything. He wrestled with, with what kind of the right tune and the right melody, but the very night before he was supposed to, to play in church, he was lying awake in bed, he going, oh, Jesus, you better give me something, or Brooksy's going to be mad at me, right? No, but as he was lying awake in bed like a gift from God, this tune popped into his head. He got up the next morning, he wrote it down, he taught it to the children that morning, and they performed it, played it in church, and the rest is history. A little town of Bethlehem became one of the most popular carols around the world. Phillips Brooks went on to be considered one of the greatest Christian intellects of the 19th century. He went on to pastor this beautiful and huge, you know, architectural masterpiece of a church, Trinity Church in Boston. And later in life, he even became the mentor to Helen Keller. So much so that Helen Keller's parents named one of their younger sons after him, Phillips Keller after Phillips Brooks. And he went on to be a pastor that, until the day that he died. And, and, and what I find is so interesting about this, the story behind this and the song itself is that it seems to be true in, in the scriptures as well that God often seems to use insignificant places to meet us there in significant ways. That God often seems to use insignificant places to meet us there in really significant ways. God led this young but burnout 30-year-old Phillips Brooks across the Atlantic to a small town of Bethlehem to meet him in such a powerful way that it strengthened him and rejuvenated him to continue to do what he was called to do for the rest of his life. And as many of you know, the Christmas story in the, in the very first part of Luke's gospel we see the same is true for Mary and Joseph as they went to a small town called Bethlehem, same town, and met God there as well. We read this in, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter two, verse one. It says this, 
In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And while everyone went down to their own town to register, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Joseph and Mary, they left their hometown of Nazareth about 90 miles north of Bethlehem. They traveled down over primitive, unpaved roads. It probably took them about a week and a half to get there. They probably could only handle about 10 miles a day. They had to go from the northern highlands of Galilee down through the forest of flatlands along the Jordan River, around Jerusalem, west over the hills to Bethlehem. And the, the reality is that the dangers of lions and bears and wild boars were very real, not to mention robbers and bandits. And once they got there, the best case scenario for Mary and Joseph was that they would you know, meet up with a relative of theirs and they would let them stay in their spare room or in their house with them. But because there were so many people, so many family members coming to the town, by the time they got there, there was likely no, no spare rooms for them. So they ended up staying in a stinky, smelly stable that most scholars agree was probably a cave. Talk about an insignificant place. Talk about an insignificant place for the king and savior of the world to be born. And yet, in that place, in that place, their son would be born, and they would be the first human beings ever to meet the incarnate living God face to face in Jesus. And now today, for thousands of years since then, most people, and pretty much all Christians worldwide, have heard of this seemingly insignificant town called Bethlehem, and millions of people visit there every single year. You know, I think about Mary and Joseph in the experience of meeting their first son. And I think about meeting my own three kids for the very first time. You know, all three of my kids were born at St. Anne's Hospital just here in Westerville. Well, my, my middle son almost wasn't born there. He was almost born in the car on the way. We almost didn't make it. That's another story for another time. But, but I just, you know, if I, if whenever I go to St. Anne's or even just drive by, something just overcomes me. Like, I'm just, I just, I go back to those moments of meeting them face to face for the first time. It's almost like a sacred place to me, a holy place to me. I can't imagine being Mary and Joseph and not only meeting their firstborn child, but knowing that that firstborn child was, was the Messiah. How, how sacred that moment would have been and how sacred that place would be. This carol makes this point, and the point that is this, that there is power in places, that there is power in places, that God uses tangible places to impact our lives, and many times, they're seemingly insignificant places to the rest of the world. About 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, over 2,500 years before Philip Brooks would go there and have this amazing encounter with God, the Old Testament prophet Micah predicted that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of Jesus. And look how he describes it here, Micah 
And this is the New English translation. It says this, as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathia, seemingly insignificant among the clans of Judah, from you a king will emerge who will rule over Israel on my behalf, one whose origins are in the distant past. O little town of Bethlehem, though you are small and seemingly insignificant, among the clans of Judah, out of you will come the king, the one who's from ancient of times, the, the one who's existed since all of creation, Jesus. This little town of Bethlehem of no great you know, political significance, a place that wasn't a center of innovation or trade. You know, it was just a little farm town. It was a, a Centerburg, a Galena, a Berkshire, right? You would expect for if Israel's Messiah to be born in the big city of Israel, right? Jerusalem. But he wasn't. You would expect, you know, the savior of the world to be born in the most important city of the world at the time, Rome, but he wasn't. He was born in a tiny little farm town, in a tiny little farm town, a small town like Sunbury. Go ahead and put this, that picture up of, of Bethlehem. Uh, Often the kind of on the horizon on the right, you can see that's the little town of Bethlehem, and it's it's definitely grown since when Jesus was there and Phillips Brooks was there because it's uh, of its popularity. But I want you to just notice from far away, notice the vastness around it. Notice all the farm field around it. Right? Notice that it's it's not this this mega metropolis, it's a sleepy little town. But that sleepy little town turned the world upside down. We read this, in, or we sent, heard this in the first verse of the song, O little town of Bethlehem. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. And light is capitalized there because it's referring to Jesus. It's a, it's a you know, proper name here. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. That at Christmas, that at Christmas, in Jesus, all the hopes, all the fears of the world forever shifted in a totally new direction in that place. That the little town of Bethlehem on, on, on that one night that Jesus was born changed history. It changed history. Ralph Sockman, he wrote this. He wrote, the hinge of history is in the door of a Bethlehem stable. That Jesus is the hinge that changed everything, that shifted the trajectory of history onto a new hopeful path. Just like Jesus has shifted the trajectory of every Christian's life from one of darkness to one of light, from one of emptiness to one of fulfillment. And the matter of fact is, the matter of fact is that even little hinges, even little hinges can open really, really big doors, can't they? Even little hinges can open really big doors. That little seemingly insignificant places that God can use them, little seemingly insignificant moments to shift our lives in a completely different direction. The little significant, insignificant village of Bethlehem was the doorway from heaven to earth in the, that came in the form of a little baby boy. The power of place. The power of place. You, know, you may never have been to Bethlehem like Phillips Brooks, but do you have places in your life that you realize have had a powerful impact in your life? Are there places in your life like that? Are there places or locations in your life that hold weight, 
that are sacred to you because of the events that took place there. That God, who is bigger than and outside of place and time, chooses to move and act in very specific places, in specific times, like on Christmas in Bethlehem. Are there places in your life that have significant value, not because they're just nostalgic or simply hold memories of good times, but because you met the living God there? Are there places in your life that you can look back and say, I met Jesus in that place. He came near to me in that place. Like Mary and Joseph, like the shepherds, like the wise men, places that are holy ground because you encountered Jesus there. When I said earlier that there's power in places, really there's only power in those places when God is present in those places. He's the one who makes them powerful. That's where the power comes from. The last verse of a little town of Bethlehem again is this. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. The phrases that, that go like this, descend to us, enter in. Come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Speak of God being present with us. JT talked about this a bit last week when he said that the word, the name Emmanuel literally, literally means God with us, that God is with us. There is power in places where God is present with us. And at Christmas time, Christmas time is all about celebrating that Jesus has come to be with us in this place, here and now. I remember a number of years ago, I was in somewhat of a dry spiritual season. I, I felt like God was distant. I believed in God. I was you know, still following him, but I just felt like he was distant. I didn't feel like I had felt or experienced that feeling of his presence in a long time. And we had gone on vacation. We went to the Shenandoah National Forest in Virginia, a really beautiful area if you've never been there, really beautiful. And I decided one afternoon that I was going to try to, to, I don't know, go meet with God. So I went off hiking all by myself, which probably wasn't the safest thing to do. Uh, not a lot of people around and cell phones didn't really work very well there. And, uh, but I went off hiking uh, kind of up on this mountain ridge. And there were parts of it where, you know, a few feet to my right was down, a few feet to my left was down. I got kind of steep at parts. And, and I was walking along and just praying, and I was listening to worship music and like my, you know, earbuds. And I just, over time, just became very aware that God was so with me for the first time in a long time. And as I continued to go, I just, I began to sing. And at first I sang quietly, and I began to walk faster but as I felt him more and more and felt like he was with me more and more, I began to like shout. I was shouting the songs and I was running. I was running and jumping from like boulder to boulder, which was very not safe. <laughs> but I was just, I was just like, it was one of the most freeing feeling experience of feeling so alive with God. And I remember I, I came around this corner at one point, I think I'd been hiking for a half hour but, and I didn't see nobody. I came around this corner all of a sudden, 
around this tree and there's this group of people coming the other direction just staring at me, just smiling. And I think I tried to play it cool. I was like, yeah, there's, there's some guy back there. He's making a lot of noise. He's scaring all the animals away, you know? Like, but I just remember, you know, just, it was just this amazing encounter with God. I mean, there's a verse in, that King David wrote, Psalm 18. I remember thinking of this verse. Psalm 18, 32 and 33, it says this. Uh, it is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. I was encountering God in that high place. It was, but it was his presence that was giving that place, meaning it wasn't just the beautiful scenery. It wasn't just this, oh, isn't this nice to look at? It was so much more than that. And it was so amazing to feel that close to him. Do you have places in your life like that? Do you have places like that that are like holy ground? That, that place will forever be like holy ground to me. Be, not because it was beautiful, but because Jesus was there with you. And, and while I know that God can use remarkable places like that, once in a lifetime places of hiking at the tops of mountains, most of the time, most of the time we find him in those really regular insignificant places. Those everyday places, like the inside of my car. You know, my car is getting a little bit older. It's about ready to go over 200,000 miles. You know, nobody, nobody pulls up to me at the side of a light and looks at my car and thinks, that's a nice car, right? Like, yeah, it's an 08 Odyssey. Yeah, this is, it's fancy, right? Those, those flames on the side, yeah, those are rust streaks you're looking at. No, nobody says that. Nobody says that. But a couple weeks ago, I, we had to get some like fluids changed on it, maintenance, repair done on it. And I get the, you know, the bill and, and I thought, well, that's, that's a lot. In fact, I think that might be more than this whole car is worth. So I, I got online and looked up and asked Miss Kelly Blue Book what she thought of my car. And she didn't think very much of it. It wasn't worth very much. And sure enough, that bill was higher than that. But so the world would look at my car and say, that's not worth very much. That's not very significant. But to me, it's worth a lot. To me, it's worth a lot because in that place, there are countless times of meeting with God in that place. There have been countless times where the interior of that van has echoed the worship songs of my children to God. There's countless times where that, that car has heard our prayers as we pray together, as I drop, we drop them off in the morning before school. There's been countless times where I have been driving in that van alone and felt God near to me and heard his voice. Many of the best points I've ever had in sermon talks came driving in that van. Maybe not this one, but, <laughs> <laughs> but many of them have. That place is, is not worth a lot. That van is not worth a lot, but it's a sacred to me. Eventually, we'll, the wheels will fall off. The rust will get so bad. My wife and kids will be giddy. We'll have to get a new one, I'm sure. But, but uh, to me, that place will be a holy place forever in my memory. Another, another really regular, everyday place uh, to me that I've encountered God is here. It's in this church building. My wife and I started coming here over 12 years ago. And I remember we had moved to a new place. The previous church we were going to was just going to be too far of a drive. So we were looking for a new, new church home, and we came here one Sunday. And when we left, we kind of both got in the car, and we're like, well, what'd you think? What'd you, what'd you, you know, what'd you think? Should we come back? Should we be here? 
And you know, we talked about, we talked about it and you said, you know what? The one thing I would say is that I felt God in that place. And she said, I was gonna say this exact same thing. And so we never left. So you're stuck with me. Um, but we, we never left, that God is in this place. Uh, I'm just curious, how many of you would say, and maybe if you're a first-time visitor, you know, obviously this may not be true for you, but how many would say that you've encountered God in this place at some point in your life? Yeah, look at that, loads of us, loads of us, right? You know, there's, it's a night, this building is nice, but it's not really super significant, right? There's nothing really super special about this building. The chairs are comfortable, right? But they don't recline like at Cinemark, right? <laughs> Coffee's good, but it's not a peppermint mocha from Starbucks, right? There's a, it's a good atmosphere, a good feeling when you come in here. But let's face it, how many of us have thought about, I wonder if I go over to the thermostat over there and change it a few degrees, if anybody will stop me? The answer is yes. Yes, they will. <laughs> yes, they will try to. No, I'm just kidding. No, I mean... Again, uh, on one hand, this place, is just, it's just a building in the small town of Sunbury. It's not a place people are flooding to from around the world to vacation or visit. But for me and for, I know for many of you, this place is holy ground. This place is holy ground because God seems to just keep showing up here. And so we're just gonna keep showing up here too and doing church on the weekends. And you, know, you know, many of you met Jesus here for the very first time in this place. You went from knowing about a God and the- theologically or, you know, in your head to actually experiencing him. You know, you, many of you experienced healing in this place, emotional, physical, relational healing. So while it's just a building, and someday hundreds of years from now, it may be completely gone, there is power in this place because Jesus is present here today. Today. Do you have holy places in your life that may seem insignificant to others, but when you go there, you can meet with God? This church, maybe. Maybe your minivan. Maybe yours is cooler than mine. Maybe, maybe uh, the home that your small group meets in where you worship together and pray together and talk about the Bible together and encourage each other. Maybe a comfy chair in your home that every morning you get your coffee and you spend some time in prayer with God. Are you aware of those places? And, and if you're aware of them, are you regularly and intentionally putting yourself in those places so that you can encounter him? So that you are creating space to meet with him? You know, at Christmas time, it seems like all the shopping and cookie decorating and work parties and all those things can make us so busy that Christmas just seems to build up and there's never enough time beforehand, never enough time to get ready, right? And it's easy to get to the end of it. I know for me, it's easy to go through a whole Christmas season to, and get to the end of it and think, I don't really know if I spent any extra time with God at all during that Christmas season. I don't know if I really set aside or went to any of those places or put myself in situations where I could meet with him any more than I normally would. And I wonder, I wonder if we're aware that God might also be encouraging us to be inviting others into these kinds of places 
that he might want to meet with them as well. You know, this carol, a little town of Bethlehem, it's written from a plural perspective. You know, the first line of the song is this, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. We. The very last line of the whole song is this, O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. It's not, O come to me, abide with me. God doesn't just want to meet with just you, but with all of his sons and daughters, and especially the ones who haven't met him yet. He wants to use us like he used Mary and Joseph with the shepherds and the wise men to introduce them to Jesus. Mary and Joseph, I just imagine here, this is our son. You know, meet our son. How wonderful of an honor that would have been to introduce them. What if you go home today after church and you see your neighbor getting out of her car at the same time and before you run in the house because it's freezing out, you strike up a conversation and and you end up inviting her to come to Christmas Eve service with you. What if if you, you know, go to work on Monday morning here, you know, tomorrow morning, and you know one of your coworkers is really struggling in life, something, you know, that they're going through. It's a really tough time. Christmas is a tough time for them. What if you told them about our blue Christmas service, and you were willing to give up an hour, an hour or so to be with Michael and Helen, on Christmas morning to, so that your friend didn't feel awkward? What if, what if you, you know, talking to a friend, someone you know, they, they're starting to have some questions about God, they're so, starting to show some curiosity about God, what if you told them about this thing, Alpha? We've mentioned it a few times and invited them to Alpha that we're gonna be starting in the new year and you were willing to come to, with them just so they wouldn't feel anxious or like, I don't know where that is, I'm not going to some new place, but you came with them. Alpha is something that Michael talked about a few weeks ago in a talk, but if you weren't here or if it's something totally new to you, you might be thinking, well, what, what is Alpha? What is that? Well, I could explain it to you, but I think this video, if you want to go ahead and start to queue up this video, it does a much better job of explaining what Alpha is. Having conversations about life, faith, and Jesus is hard. And this is interesting, because at some point, everyone wrestles with life's big questions. Questions about hope, purpose, meaning, and love. Imagine creating a space where people in our community, our friends, neighbors, and coworkers, can come and have conversations in a way that is authentic and unforced. Where leaders don't need to have all the answers, and anyone can ask tough questions and share honestly about what they believe. That's what Alpha is all about. Alpha started in a church in London years ago with a simple idea to engage friends who might not typically go to church. Lives were transformed and it began to grow all over the world. Today, you can find Alpha in schools, coffee shops, church buildings, prisons, and homes. And so far, millions of people have experienced Alpha. So what is Alpha? Alpha is a series of interactive sessions exploring the basics of the Christian faith. In each session, you eat food, listen to a talk, and have discussions in small groups. Eating food together creates space for people to connect, relax, and build friendships. The talks tackle core questions about life and faith from a Christian perspective. And the discussion allows people to unpack these ideas without fear of being corrected or judged. 
All of this is done in a fun environment where anyone is welcome. There are three main sets of talks you could use. The Alpha Film Series, Alpha with Nikki Gumbel, and the Alpha Youth Series. Each is designed with a different audience in mind and is typically run over 8 to 12 weeks with a weekend away where there are opportunities to experience worship through music and moments for prayer. Alpha also comes with everything you need to empower others to be involved, like discussion guides and training videos for you and your team. And all the talks and tools are available online and can be downloaded for free. By running Alpha, you're creating a space where people can connect with each other and connect with God. Sign up, get started, run Alpha today. And thank you. So we're gonna, that's what we're going to be doing in the new year. We're going to be running Alpha. And I don't know if you, you probably couldn't read it unless you were in like the very front row, but at the very beginning, there was two cell phones, like communicating back and forth, texting back and forth. And the one said, they both said, hey, and then the one started writing, um, hey, do you ever wonder if there's anything more to life than this? But then he deleted it and wrote, hey, did you catch the game last night? Because the truth is, talking about serious things like spiritual stuff, like God, is, is, can be awkward. It can be challenging. It can be hard. But that's what Alpha is all for. The whole point of Alpha is to create a safe space where people can come and have those spaces, and you just have to invite people to it. You, just have, you don't have to explain the whole gospel to them. You don't have to do anything like that. You just invite people to it. And what happens time and time again with Alpha is that it seems like God seems to just keep being present in place.